We're, we're in the book of Titus. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We have Bibles. We like to hand them out so you guys, when I'm saying stuff from the Bible, you know it's in the Bible and not just stuff I'm saying. So if you need a Bible at all, raise your hand. It's not weird. We do this every week. Um, and raise them high so the people handing out Bibles can see them. And, uh, and you can turn to Titus or whatever. If you don't own a Bible, this is yours to keep. If you do own a Bible at home or something, just be sure to put it on the side or on one of the back tables on your way out. So we're in this book of Titus, and we've, we've got to see how the church functions, how the church lives out. It's been some really practical ways as how, how we as a body of believers can organize and even just walk out our faith uh, with Jesus. And so two weeks ago, Vince talked about the gospel at length, and he started to talk about how the gospel sanctifies us, right? How grace, God's grace towards us, and how the gospel sanctifies us, changes us, and makes us more like Jesus, right? That's what sanctify really means. It means makes you more like Jesus. And then last week, Vince just talked about how the gospel saves us, how, the, how it's what Jesus' work on the cross did. That's what saves us. And so today, we're going to talk about how the gospel sends us or how grace sends us. Um, but first, a story. Uh, when I, so when I was in high school, I, my freshman year, I was a really good student. Okay, I, I got really good grades. I, I never ditched class. But the problem was I had a lot of friends who ditched class. And there was one day called career day, and I didn't ditch that day. And my friends all ditched and had, like, the best day of their lives. And they all made fun of me for staying and listening to, like, public speakers and stuff like that. And, uh, and so because of that, the peer pressure, I, again, I don't suggest doing this if you're in here going to school. But I ditched a lot then after that. I started ditching school all the time. And it was amazing because somehow when my mom put in our phone number to the school, she put the last number a different number. So when, I, when they would call when I was ditching, it would be to a number that didn't exist. So I never got in trouble for it. And it was incredible. And, uh, and so by my senior year, it got particularly bad. Like I, I had a Spanish class after lunch, and I almost always ditched that class because, you know, it takes, you know, I was practicing my Spanish at Taco Bell, actually. And, um, and so I'm, I had something, I can't remember, but it was something like 25 to 40 absences in the first semester, or I'd come late. And uh, so what I, what I forgot I did in this class was I had given that teacher specifically my dad's phone number because she had asked for it. And so one day I'm at school. I think I was like currently ditching that class. And my dad calls me. And I'm like, okay, I'll answer. I, I, I had no idea what he was going to say. And he says, hey, Anthony, how's it going? I said, good, good. How are you? And he said, great. Hey, listen, uh, your teacher, Miss Hernandez, called. And in that moment, I was just like, this is it. I'm done. <laughs> like, I'm caught. Like, I, if, it, you have to remember back when you were a kid. You know when your parents ask those pointed questions, and you're like, don't move your face at all. Act like you don't know what they're talking about, right? But I'm over the phone, so I'm like, watch your breathing. Like, <laughs> be careful. And so my dad, my dad goes, so anyways, Mr. Han- Hernandez called me, Anthony, and uh, she says you have something like, you know, 30 absences, and you're, you know, uh, she thinks you're going out to lunch with your friends and just staying too long. And, and then, so now I'm like, this is it. I'm caught. What excuse do I have? I need to, I, I mean, Dad, but I was helping the homeless, or like, I don't know. And, um, 
And then he goes on and he says, but listen, you have a B in that class. I wish you had a little bit higher grade than that. I'm like, there's only one higher grade. Um, but just try to make it to class, okay, Anthony? And I was like, okay. <laughs> Is that it? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, yeah. And then he just said, all right, bye, see you later. And, we, and he never talked to me about it again. And the reason I tell this story is because today we're going to be looking at this text and it's going to be encouraging us to do good. But it's going to be encouraging us to do good because of how God has been good to us. And in that story, when my dad, I thought my dad was going to destroy me, okay? My dad's kind of a strict guy. And, but instead he was kind and good to me and merciful to me even though I didn't deserve it. And it honestly caused me to be a better son. I started being not afraid to be honest with my dad about some of the things I was doing and just having that conversation with him. And so I think today we're going to see in the text where God is so good to us that it causes us to do good as well. Okay, so if you can, turn to Titus chapter 3, and we're going to be in verse 8. Titus chapter 3, verse 8. All right. And it says this, the, the saying is trustworthy. And I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. So Paul gets right into it. And before we can get to the good works part, because it says devote yourself to good works, we all saw that. We have to stop at this kind of funny little thing he says at the beginning. And he says, the saying is trustworthy. The saying is trustworthy. And so I expect him in the next verse, or the next sentence, basically say, like, roses are red, violets are blue. Trustworthy, right? Like, something like that. And so as I was studying this, I realized that what he says after this is not really a saying, but it's actually he's referring back to what he just said and what we talked about last week. So he's, he's referencing, essentially, what he said in these previous verses. So let's read 4 through 7 just to remind ourselves of what Paul said to us. This is the saying he's talking about. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So Paul, he, in verse 8, as we saw, he's going to say, be devoted to good works. But he starts verse 8, eight off saying, the saying is trustworthy. And, you know, it's a letter. So they just read the gospel at length. And then Paul says to be devoted to good works. And so what I think we're seeing here is before we can do any good works, Paul wants us as Christians and believers to be rooted in the gospel. He wants us to be rooted in what God has done for us and what God has done. And so... Often, as Christians, we, we get through the Bible and we're like, hey, I want to get to the next level. I want to get to this next big theology. And, and there's some, like, different theologies, you know. But I, I think throughout the Bible, we see that all of the theology Bible is rooted in the gospel. It's rooted in what God did for you and for me. And so Paul wants the gospel to motivate us. He wants us to see how it says in verse 4, when God's goodness— to remember God's goodness 
and then be motivated to do good from that. And we, I mean, we talked at length last week that, about the gospel and about God's grace towards us and about all these things. And I think as Christians too often, we, we just get tired of hearing the gospel, right? Like the, for us, the gospel as Christians, sometimes we just think of it as like the starting point of Christianity. There's a pastor I love named J.D. Greer, and he describes the gospel like this for his church. He says, listen, the gospel for us is not just the diving board, it's the pool. Okay, so he says, for Christians, the gospel needs to be more than just the launch point or the starting point. It needs to be what we're swimming in day in and day out. And so as you read your Bibles and you look for how Paul or whomever is speaking in those verses, you'll often see that the gospel is what they refer back to. What Jesus did on the cross or what Jesus did through his resurrected life is what's supposed to motivate us. And so we should be a people that find the gospel incredibly beautiful. We should be a people that try to remind ourselves of the gospel all the time. It is truly the greatest story in the world. It is truly the greatest story of the world. Any good movies you watch, books you read, um, whatever it is, usually is some form of the gospel. There's this famous kind of movie producer, and she says, every story is a story of redemption or a story of anti-redemption, which is basically making you cry out and say, I need the gospel, right? And so, you know, just off the top of my, or not off the top of my head, I thought about this week, but like Harry Potter is like one of the biggest stories of all time right now. Like everybody's like, I love Harry Potter. Don't you dare say something about the Hufflepuffs. Like all these kinds of like nerdy things. I'm like, you're not a Hufflepuff. You're a human. Like that's fictional. You're so nerdy. Um, I'm just kidding. I don't say that. I say that in my head. Um, And so, but the story of Harry Potter, spoiler alert, but come on, catch up, uh, is there's this bad guy who's ruining the world, and Harry Potter has to stop him, and the way he stops this bad guy is he has to die in order to do it, to save everyone. He has to sacrifice his own life to do it. And guess what? Little food for thought. When Harry dies and he goes off to, like, La La Land and he's talking to Dumbledore or whatever, uh, where does he go? He goes to King's Cross station. It's a train station. That's what they call it, though. I, th- I think, and I know because I've read articles, J.K. Rowling knew that the gospel is the most compelling story there is. She knew this is the most compelling story there is. And so she knew from day one of Harry Potter that it was going to be a, a mirror of the gospel story. And so the stories that, that really move our hearts are really gospel-centered stories. And so we need to be a people that look to love the gospel, look to be excited about the gospel, look to remember how good God has been to you and to me. And so Paul wants us rooted in the gospel because if we're not rooted in the gospel, then we're, we're, we're just going to be trying to do our best. But the gospel is this good news that God has done everything. God has done everything you need to be saved. That's the good news of the gospel. And it's just like the story of my dad. My dad did not need to be nice to me. He, I mean, if he punished me for ditching all those times, that would have made sense. But my dad, in his goodness, was like, okay, I'm not going to punish you. I'm going to gently, like, reprove you. The story of the gospel is the story of a God who totally deserves to punish us. We totally deserve it. But instead, he says, no, I'm going to love you. I'm going to bring you in. I'm going to make you part of my family by no works of your own. 
And so we need to remember that. And the gospel, I think Paul wants us reading the gospel too, because when we remember the gospel, we remember how good we have it. And if we remember how good we have it, it's easier to do good. If you, if you know how amazingly generous God has been to you, it's easy to be generous. If you remember that we used to pick a different God and pick ourselves as God, and yet God still loved us, it's easy to chase after the unwanted people in your life and to love the unwanted people in your life. So God was so good to us. And so before we can do any good, God wants to remind us of the gospel. So if you're here and you kind of don't even understand that and you just want to do good, that's fine. Do good. But it should be rooted in who God is. It should be rooted in his character because God is the ultimate good. God is the ultimate being devoted to good works. Okay? So let's reread this verse again. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about it. It says this, The saying is trustworthy. And I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. So Paul is telling us that, that God wants us to be a people that do good works. No, a people that are devoted to doing good works. Right? I think sometimes as Christians, we go, yeah, you know, I try my best. You know, I don't have a lot of time. I can't do this. I'm, I'm, I'm doing what I can. But, but the Bible says we should be a people devoted to good works. Think about the last time you were devoted to something, whatever it was. What were you devoted to? How did you live that out? How often was it in your mind? How often was it in your head? How often did you do things about it? God wants us to be devoted to good works. And I'll be honest, I think we would have a much different picture of our church if every Christian in our church was like, I'm going to be devoted to good, to good works because of how, God, how good God's been to me. I think, I think we could kind of see a, a glimpse of this picture in Acts chapter 9. And you could turn there if you want, but it's going to be on the, on the screen as well. And there's this, fun, there's this really interesting little story in Acts chapter 9. It's in verse 36. And I'm just going to read it, and then we'll talk about it. And I think it shows us what it's like to see a body of believers devoted to good works. And it says this in 36. Now, there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. Stick with Tabitha. Uh, she was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days, she became ill and died. And when they washed her, they laid her up in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. And the story goes on, and Peter actually, uh, and God through Peter, brings her back to life. But I thought that story is really interesting. We have this believer with a, an unfortunate name, uh, living out life. Like, even back then, she was like, her name's Tabitha. Like, you know, don't call her Dorcas. Like, it's Dorcas, but we call her Tabitha. Like, I don't I kind of think that. But anyways, um, that's not theological, just so you guys know. Like, that was bad. Um, but anyway, so... 
She is living out her life as a Christian. She dies. Everybody that's in her house are these widows, and they're crying, and Peter's there, and they're like, Peter, look at all these clothes she made for us. Look at all these things she gave us and she made for us. And they're all the widows. And back then, if you're a widow, it was bad news. It was you were not able to support yourself in that society very well, very often at all. Some, there were some situations, I'm sure. But, and so we have all these kind of people that are the, the unwanted of society in this room with this Christian woman who's dead. And they're weeping. They're sad. I think that Tabitha was devoted to good works. I think, and I think she understood how good she had it in Christ, that she could be devoted to good works. There's even in, in, verse, in chapter 8 of Acts, in verse 8, it says that the, you know, the disciples were doing all these things throughout the city so that the city was filled with joy. And I just, when I read this story in Acts I look at it, and I just ask myself, like, okay, if I were to die, would the, would, would the dregs of society or the unwanted society, or would anyone surround my bed crying solely because of the good that I had done to them? Right? Would that happen? And then sometimes I, as, a, as a leader of a church or in a church, I, I ask, like, Man, what if our church, what if tomorrow our church just, just completely disappeared tomorrow for whatever reason? Would the city cry? Would the people around the Orpheum that live in this area or live in our neighborhoods, would they be sad about it? Or, or would they just blink an eye, bat an eye, and not, it was nothing? And too, just as a Christian, I go, man, what if, what if, in Flagstaff, all the Christians disappeared. What if that happened? What if all the Christians all of a sudden in Flagstaff just disappeared, not rapture style, but they just disappeared and they were gone? Would Flagstaff weep? Would Flagstaff cry because they would be like, man, those guys were, they were devoted to good. They did so much good for us because of their God. Would it happen? And as I ask myself those questions, I don't know if every time I can say, yeah, for sure. For sure people will be crying around my bed. For sure people will be crying if our church left. For sure Flagstaff, the city, would be crying if we left. All Christians, that is. But I think if we become a people that realize how good we have it in God— then we can be these people that are devoted to good works, that we can love our city, that we can quickly, and we don't need the recognition. It's not that we need the recognition, like of them, of the city crying. Like, that's not what I want at all. But I do want us to be a people that have it so good in God that we do good all throughout this city. Because here's the reality. When we do good, when we do good throughout our city, I I honestly think that gives people a glimpse of who God is. We're broken, we mess it up, but we image God better. And I think when people see that, it's easier for them to believe in God and easier for them to believe in Jesus, right? Here's my point of that, because I I talk to a lot of atheists and I never hear atheists just say, hey, Anthony, you know, I just have it so good. That's why I don't believe in God, right? 
No one says that. Many people say, though, I have it. So, things are so bad that I can't believe in God. I just wonder that if we as Christians realize how good we had it in God, and we became a people devoted to good because of that, if we could point people to Jesus better. And I think we could. And so the rest of this sermon is just going to be ways we can become that kind of a people together. Ways we can become a people devoted to good works. And so first we're going to look at four questions we're going to ask ourselves that we need to ask ourselves before we do any good. Okay? Four questions to ask ourselves before we do any good. Then we're going to look at just kind of the types of good we're yearning to do as a church. And then we're going to look at five just practical ways that you guys can leave these doors and go be a people devoted to good. Okay? Four questions. What kind of good do we want to do? And then five practical ways. I'm not a number guy usually, but it's only one verse this week, so deal with it. Um, So first... We've got uh, four questions to ask ourselves before we do good, before we can be a people devoted to good. And the first question is this. How can you leverage your gifts, talents, and resources to do good? Okay? How can you leverage your gifts, your talents, and your resources to do good? We have to, if we're going to be a people devoted to good, we have to think through this question. Because, you know, we're a body of believers, and we have all kinds of gifts in here. But if only some people are using their gifts, then we're not having a full expression of the goodness of God and who God is. And so I have a a friend, uh, Jim Mullins. He's a pastor down in Redemption Tempe. He's preached here before. And he does this, to creatively think through this. He gets uh, two decks of note cards, and on one deck, he writes all his resources. So he'll write, my car. Uh, my wife's really good at cooking. It's like, that's not yours. Um, my house, my bikes, my everything, or his gifts. I'm a good teacher. I'm this or that. And then in this other pile, he'll write just any problems in the world that he sees, any that he thinks of. So he'll put anything he thinks up. It could be local things. It could be global things. It could be nationwide things. And he, and he writes them down. And then what he does to help himself think through this is he grabs one card from his resources pile and one card from the problems pile. And he says, okay, how can I solve this problem with this resource? Right? And, oft, you know, oftentimes it's, it's, it's not like the best thing. Like, it's not always going to work out, right? Like, if you're like, man, I have a fridge full of beer, alcoholism. Like, that's not going to work, like, right? Okay, but, like, those kinds of things aren't going to work. But sometimes he gets to these really creative ideas in how to help and love the people in his neighborhood and in his state and these things. And so we, I think we should take, you know, take stock and think about what resources we have and how can we use them in creative ways to love the world around us, okay? So that's the first question. How can you leverage your gifts, life, talents, and resources to do, to do good? Next is this. How can you specifically change your schedule to make more time in your schedule to do good? So how can you make more time in your schedule to do good? All right, I think we need to think through this one 
big time because often I talk to people who are like, I'm just so busy. And I'm like, what are you doing? And like, they tell me all these things. And then next week we're talking about how they just watched five seasons of, uh, seasons of Breaking Bad. And I'm like, wait a second, are you that busy? And, and so I think that we need to be a people that are better about our time. Right, there's a, there's a Christian speaker right now, and he, sa- he's, he has this chapter in this book he wrote, and he says, like, every Thursday, he quits something different. And I've, ju- and I've just watched, like, you know, on Twitter and other books or whatever, just, like, Christians be like, that's an amazing idea! Like, quit something every Thursday! And I'm over here like, that is so dumb! <laughs> like, or, and more, and then I go, but that is so sad that as a society, we've gotten to this point where like the revolutionary idea is like, quit something every Thursday. Like, that's how my life is better. <laughs> like, as Christians, we should just say yes to a few things and no to more things. In order that, we would have more room in our schedule to do good. And I get it, there's seasons of life where things are more busy and, and you can't be as devoted to good, and that's okay. I'm not, I don't want you to feel pressure there. But even amidst those seasons, we should kind of take stock and, and ask ourselves, okay, what can I cut out of my schedule? How can I change my schedule this next school year, or this next fiscal year, or whatever it might be, to make more time to do good? All right? So second question, how can you make more time in your schedule to do good? Um, number three, a question to ask yourself before doing good is, who do you care about? Like, who do you care about? right? What, when you're watching the news, what makes you cry? For me, it's everything. I'm just like, this is a terrible day, <laughs> like every time I watch the news, right? But some of you have some people groups or places or whatever, things that you really care about. It could just be the people you work with. It could be, well, you know, like how we're doing foster care and adoption. It could be all kinds of things. It could be students at a school. But who do you care about? Who are the people you care about? And as you think through how you're going to do good, it's good to know about who the people you care about because maybe God put that love for those people in your heart so that you would do good towards them and that you would love them. Okay? The fourth question, and this is kind of like the same as the third question, but it's who should you care about? Who should you care about? Okay, so it's very easy for us to care about people like us but it's very hard for us to care about people that are not like us. And that's just a human thing, right? Maybe that's more me than you guys. You guys look lovely. Probably you're fine. But I need to think about who are the people I should care about. Who does Jesus call us to care about? Who did Jesus hang out with? And often Jesus asks us to care for the marginalized, right? To care for the widows and the orphans. And Jesus, like all these prostitutes hung out with him all the time. All these kinds of things, these, in that time, these dregs of society hung out with Jesus because I think he was the only one that cared about them. He was the only one that loved them. And so often, you know, it's easy to do good to people that are like us. And that's totally okay and that's great. But I think often when we care about the people that are not like us, it's because something bad is happening to them and we can kind of counteract that. We can help them to see God through our actions. Okay, and then we get an opportunity to share Jesus with them too, I think. And so those are the four questions. How can you leverage your gifts? How can you make more time? Who do you care about? And who should you care about? Who should you care about? 
So I think if we ask ourselves those four questions, then I think we're going to be better equipped to do good in our, in our city and in our world. So as I was starting to think up all the ways that I'm going to like just be like, you guys do all these good things. And it's like a great sermon to just like boss you guys around. But as I was thinking through that, I realized that for Christians and for people in general, there's kind of like two types of doing good. And I kind of attribute it kind of like this, a little analogy is when I was in high school, I could sprint really well for 15 seconds, right? If I went sprinting for 30 to 40, I would literally pass out, right? Like I've literally passed out or thrown up or whatever. Like I, and then my friends would just leave me and I'd be like, where am I? And so I was really good, but I was fast. I was as fast as like most of my friends were faster. Um, so I was really good at sprinting. My friend, Francisco, he was really good at cross country. He was really good at long distance. He'd always try to get me to run with him. And then a different thing would happen. If I tried to run long, long, long distance with him, it would take probably like two minutes and then I would, I would have a heart attack. No, I would pass out or throw up. Like that was a common thing I did a lot. And, and today it's true. Like I'm not as good at sprinting as I used to be, but today it's true. Any kind of running, I'm just terrible at. And I think sometimes in our doing good, as Christians, we get really excited to sprint. Because sprinting's fun, right? Like, I like to sprint because you do it in sports. If you can sprint faster than other people, you beat them to the base, or you beat them to the end zone, or you beat them to the hoop, whatever. So I like to sprint, right? And Christians, when we do good, we kind of like to do these short bursts of good sometimes. And those are okay. And those are great. But as a church, I think if we're going to be a people devoted to good works, I think we have to look at good works like the long-distance runner looks at running, right? We have to be a master of good works. We have to know how we can do good works for a long time, even though we're tired and our body is hurting, and we have to figure out the best ways to do that, right? If you talk to Michael Anderson or anybody in our church that runs, and we got a pretty good amount of runners, you know, they do all kinds of things. they got to wear the right kinds of shorts. they got to wear the right kinds of shoes. You know, they got to drink the right kinds of water, eat those weird gummy things. Like all, they got to do all these things in order to be a good long-distance runner. And I think in doing good, we also have to be able to be like long-distance runners. I think that's the kind of good I want for our church. So again, I'm not saying... The sprinting good is bad. It's good and it's necessary. And I think as Christians, we got to be ready to do that sprinting good, right? But I think if we want to make some deeper impacts, we need to do this long distance kind of running. Does that make sense? I hope so. No. All right. Okay, cool. Uh, sorry. Um, so now we're going to talk. I'm going to just tell you guys five things that I think we can do as a church to do more good and to be better at doing good. Okay, just five things, ways to do good. Okay, and I'm going to give you general things. Like I'm not going to, they're not going to be very specific. They're going to be general things that I wish everybody in our church did. And you're going to have to take these general ideas and make them specific to your life. Okay, so you're going to take these things I say and, may, and think through your life, think through your gifts, your talents, your resources. Okay, so the first thing is meet the needs of those around you. Okay, meet the needs of those around you. Okay, what does this look like? There was, uh, a few years ago, when we first moved up here, uh, there was these two young ladies, they go to the commons, and they noticed that in the wintertime, Flagstaff is a terrible place for homeless people. You know, and if you even go out there, you see a lot of homeless people out, you know, all kinds of places that are really cold. Every year, people die, they freeze to death. These girls saw this need, they saw this problem, they said, what can we do? 
So they, start, they literally started a nonprofit organization that partners with churches, and churches one week or one whatever out of, the, out of the winter open up their doors so the homeless could sleep inside in their, you know, whatever, in their auditorium or their gym or whatever it might be. And so these girls saw a need, and then they met it. All right, they saw a need, and then they met it, right? And so I think there's all kinds of ways we can do this. You know, there's tons of schools, even in Flagstaff, that need help. And you can just go to the principal and say, how can we help you? How can we do a better job? Or you can talk to the teachers in those schools, because sometimes they have even a better uh, view, because they're kind of doing like the ground of combat type stuff in, in education, or even here at our church, we, we need you guys. Like, we need you guys for Sunday, right? I was actually, I was just thinking about, like, this is weird. I was, like, in the bathroom washing my hands, let's say. And, and worship was happening. And Drew, had, Drew, one of our leaders, he had gone to the office because he needed to get something. And I was just thinking about, like, this is pretty cool. Like, the service is running, and me, Vince, and Drew are not there right now. Like, we need you guys for that. Like, we need you guys for, all, for running this service, for, for doing good throughout the weeks. You know, Sunday is not the most important thing to us. We care more about the Monday through Saturday. But uh, we need you for our, our church to, to do well, okay? And so if that, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll actually talk later about some ways we can do, do better in that. Um, so that's the first way. Meet the needs of those around you. Second thing. Good that you can do, evangelize, okay, evangelize, okay? So when I say evangelize, I mean tell people about Jesus, okay? Tell people about the gospel, okay? Go out to wherever you are and tell people. You don't have to go stand on a corner with a sign, you know, saying like you're going to go to hell or whatever, but you should have a conversation with every non-Christian about you, about the, or around you about the gospel. Like everyone should do that. That's not just like a pastor's job or whatever. That is like if we understand the goodness of what Jesus has done for me and for you, that should be overflowing out of our lips, right? If we can talk all day, every day about what we just watched on Netflix, then man, how much more love should we have for Christ that could spill out from our mouths and talk about how much we love Christ. Like my sister Bridget, she is insane, man. She loves Jesus so much that she is just always like, everything is Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I'm not like that. I'm not like her. But, but I should have a love cultivated in my heart that loves Jesus enough to talk with every person in my life that doesn't know Jesus. All right, and you don't have to like, it doesn't have to be super extreme or anything. So like, you're like, Anthony, how do I do that? Do I just go, hey man, yeah, you know, it's hot in here. You know, where else is hot as hell? Like, you don't, have to, you don't have to say that, okay? Like, you don't have to have, like, a weird leeway like that. Here's, here's a question I use. This is for free. You're welcome. Um, the question I use is I just say something like, hey, did you grow up going to church? And that is a long answer usually, right? Did you grow up going to church? Yeah, hated it. Why'd you hate it? Uh, because this happened. Oh, why did that happen? Oh, well, let me tell you gospel, right? You know, and often too, people, when they answer that question, they're like, I was just tired of following all the rules. You'd be like, that's sweet. You know what? Jesus is not about following all the rules. He's about, 
he being good enough for us. He is about him being good for us and him saving us. And this is the real gospel and all these kinds of things. And so I think there's plenty of ways you can look for creative ways to, to evangelize. And honestly, this is one of the biggest good we can do in our world is to just sit, tell people the gospel in love. Okay, to tell people the gospel in love amidst the good works. But I, you know, I take every chance I get to tell our people to evangelize because I think it's really important. All right, so first, ways to do good, meet the needs of those around you, evangelize. Second, or third, I mean, man, I'm bad at counting. Third is be a loving person in a community. Be a loving person in a community. I don't mean a redemption community, although I think you should be in one because they are incredible. And uh, I'm the pastor of the communities, by the way. And uh, just kidding. But, uh, oh, I am. But uh, <laughs> sounding prideful. That's what I mean. Um, but be a part of a community. Because, okay, so you know that, that person at work that's super rude to you? You're like, why is this person so rude? Like, what is wrong with them? Like, they are, they, they are always mean. They're always saying weird things. So you're like, no, why do you fart in public? Like, these kinds of things. Like, why do you do this? Like, the real reason that they're rude or they're that way is because they probably didn't have very much community for the last however many years. They probably didn't have people in their life loving them well, showing them what it means to be human and to love others around them. Right? So I think if we as Christians did a better job of community, if we did a better job of community, there's all kinds of people that would feel loved by that, and we would see changed societies. And so I don't know what your community is, but be a loving person in community, and especially if you can have a group of Christians in loving community together, inviting all kinds of people into that community, it's even that much more powerful. So think about that. Fourth way to, uh, to do good is be generous with your time and your money. Be generous with your time and your money. Like I, every year I think like Relevant and different Christianity Today and different magazines come out with all these numbers and their monetary numbers. Of if, if Christians and the church just gave this much, here's all the problems we could solve. It's like, We could take care of world hunger. We could give clean water to the entire world. We can do all these things. And sure, like churches might not band together and do that very well. But I think if we became a people that were more generous with our money, we'd start solving some issues, right? We see in Colorado, these people put their time and their money in the foster care and adoption system. And now there's waiting lists for foster care and adoption. There's waiting lists of people waiting to uh, adopt them and foster them because all the kids are in houses. It's possible for us to do that. It's possible for us to do those things. But are we going to be a people who one person at a time is generous with our time and our money? So I think we need to do that. So think of some ways that you can be more generous with your time and your money. Okay, the final way is this. And this is really practical, and I want everyone to do it, is I want you guys to join our resource deck, right? So remember earlier I talked about my friend Jim who has this, uh, like, his resources, right? His good works resource deck. We're actually going to make one at the church, and you can access it right now. So if you go to your phones, I don't care if you don't listen to me the rest of the sermon if you're doing this. Um, Go to your phones, and if you go to our Facebook page, you can find, right, it's the newest post, a WooFoo form that says, like, good work resources list. And if you go in there and you answer some questions, 
we will be able to compile a, like a, an Excel sheet of ways that we can help the world. Because often people come to us all the time as a church to say, hey, can you help me with this? Hey, can you help me with this? And the reality is, Vince and I and whomever else, we're not superheroes. We can't do everything. We don't, know how, we, we don't have the time to do everything. We don't have the ability to do everything. And so we need you guys to come alongside us and help us do those things. So on the list, you're going to see things like, do you have a spare room? Can you babysit? What skills are you good at? Are you good at plumbing? Are you good at fixing cars? Are you good at this? Are you good at that? All kinds of things on this list. And you can just fill it out with your name and your email really quick. You can do it right now while I'm talking or do it during the reflection time. And it will help us to compile a list of what our church can offer the Flagstaff to do good towards them, right? And, uh, and there's even a thing at the bottom. If I miss something, you could put, hey, here's something I'm good at that I think could help. Or, hey, I, here's something I'm good at. I'm not sure how I could help. Could you tell me? Something like that. And so fill that out. Because often churches, and a lot of studies say this, often churches are places where 20% of the people are really devoted and really doing good work and really doing all these kinds of things. And then 80% are just kind of casual churchgoers. I would love it if our church became a peop- like a group where 100% of the people were doing good, where 100% were devoted to good works. And so if you fill this out, don't, don't worry. I'm not going to like force you to do things right away. We'll always email you. We'll always say like, hey, can you do this? And you can always say no, all right? Like there's, and that's, there will be no guilt, right? I'll pray for you silently, but that's it. Um, and so... That's just something to think through. So those are five ways I think we can be a people that are better devoted good to good. And there, you know, listen, there's so many more things. And you guys are far more creative than me. And so that's why I kind of want to leave it in your hands. Because if I gave you all these specific things, you know, I, I'd worry that we just do these specific things. But I want you guys to do things that you're thinking of, that the Holy Spirit's leading you to do, okay? And I think, you know, this is not going to be easy. If you're like a long-distance runner, but in doing good, it's not going to be easy. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be tiring. It's going it, it, to be exhausting. It's, you're going to want to give up sometimes. You really are, right? But the gospel sends us. We see that God is devoted to doing good, and that causes us to be devoted to doing good. And so we, we need to step into that. We need to say yes to that. The people I know that have the richest lives are usually the ones that say yes to doing good, right? That, and I don't mean richest like money. I mean, it just seems like they're the happiest. They understand how the world works. When things bad happen to them, they feel such a security in Christ. Like, are the people that have said, yes, I'll I'll do good. I want to do good. I want to be devoted to good. And I think, too, that's why Paul roots this in Titus in in the gospel for us. He roots doing good in what Jesus did, right? Because when our satisfaction is in Jesus, we can do anything. We can run a million miles, so to speak, metaphorically, right? We can do so much good when we're empowered by Jesus and remember what he did, right? Like, with, honestly, like with Jesus, having a relationship with Jesus, we have won the lottery, okay? We've really won the lottery. And here's what I mean. Have you guys ever dreamed about winning the lottery, Right? You think, oh, I'm going to buy a car, I'm going to buy this. But even sometimes I start going, well, I'm going to 
give all this money to this church, and I'm going to fund all the missionaries in this country, and I'm going to help get clean water to this country, and I'm going to do all these things, and I kind of dream about the good I could do if only I had a lot of money. And then I step back and I remember that Jesus is a far greater lottery to win. That Jesus is a far greater lottery to win because he says a relationship with, with him is like living water. Like you just have to drink from him once and you're satisfied forever. You never have to drink from water again. And so I think we have to realize that in Jesus we've won the greatest lottery possible. Like we, God has been so generous to us so we can be so generous. God, God has been such a friend to you and to me that we can be friends to our enemies, that we can love any enemy because Jesus was a friend to all and a friend to us. We can, we'll have so much time in eternity that if we give up some of our time now, that it doesn't hurt as much because we know we're going to have eternity with God. We've won the lottery with Jesus. He's been such a good father to us that we could be a father to anyone. Like, and there's difficulties with that. We could, especially like if you're a mother, but um, we could adopt anyone. We could foster anyone because of God's goodness to us. So God has given us so many good gifts. Christ has been so good to us. The gospel is the good news that Jesus did everything you need to be saved. He lived perfectly for us. He died for our sins, and he raised from the dead for you and for me. So let's be a people that remembers how good that is, how much, how generous God was being to us, how loving he was, how kind he was in that. And then let's be a people devoted to good works. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, we love you, and we need you. God, we just pray that we could be a people devoted to good works. And God, it it can quickly become, like our relationship with you can quickly become this works-based relationship, and God, we don't want that. We want a relationship that's rooted in what you've done, rooted in the gospel, rooted in your grace towards us. And so God, send us out today, rooted in that. Help us to be a people devoted to good works because of that. And so God, we love you and we need you for this to be good, for us to be a church that if we were to leave, the city would weep. God, help us to do this well. Help us to think creatively. Holy Spirit, come into our minds and give us creative ideas. Just give them like flashes. God, give us these ideas. God, we love you, and we hope we can humbly do good in our broken selves because we know it's difficult, and we need you every day. And So God, help us to lean into you. Amen. Okay, so now we're